tonight uh, I'd like to offer some reflections on the gifts of practice. So I wanted to really share some experiences and thoughts and stories and um, reflections on yeah what to sort of name in a way uh, the the things in our life that the events the insights the qualities in ourselves and others that we really really treasure you know the, the those things that actually really touch us deeply and um, give our lives a sense of depth and meaning and heart and beauty and feels like, you know, in the world, in our life, there's so much we end up kind of getting mixed up with wanting and getting and having and losing and what is it that is really really of value to us it's really uh, really important question isn't it because it's too easy in this life to be kind of pushed around you know by either our own you know impulses and you know, just fixations and fears and all that stuff. And, and, and it's not that that does, needs to stop happening. It's nice if it does, but just to learn not to be so governed by that. And that's, that's so much of what we're trying to do in practice, you know, not to get rid of these things, but to be able to know them. Ah, fear, you know. Huh, okay. So, what is it that helps us to do that? What helps helps us to uh, live a life which is perhaps, you know, less governed by fear and anger and so on and more guided and directed by kindness and patience and care and those kinds of of qualities that really are conducive to the kind of happiness we really really long for um, so um, I'd like to name some of these treasures maybe treasures that are connected with a particular event or insight or something that may have happened but actually all are also somehow qualities that can be evoked in the present and are real treasures that we carry in our heart, in our heart-mind, that the word in Pali is the same, citta, C-I-T-T-A. You could say that sort of somehow the treasures of the heart, of the heart-mind, are, are not so easy to name sometimes. So we talk about them as in poems and stories and images and maybe paint them, draw them, you know, dance them, that... It's, it's hard to express. So, 
maybe as I'm speaking, and you know, you can think about the gifts of practice, the gifts from your life that you'd like to kind of name and, and celebrate. And gifts in, in, in today, not just today. Uh, so something about being being uh, tuned into the, the the generosity of life, you know, and how much is given. It's just this kind of bountiful life and earth, and you know, we so get caught up, don't we, and what's sort of wrong, and what I'm not quite, you know, and I need this and that, and that's wrong, and I haven't got that, and I've got to do this. And, we kind of so easily lose touch with this wow, this wonderful, wonderful, you know, life. And even though sometimes it feels so uncomfortable and, you know, it's certainly not perfect and there's so much suffering in the world and, and it's not denying any of that. But uh, it seems to me like a some kind of a quality of celebration, of gratitude. I mean, such a enriching part of, of every day. So, I'm just going to go through some different um, things that I would like to celebrate and give thanks for. Hopefully, some of these will uh, uh, help you also tune into the possibilities in practice and the possibilities for celebration in actually each moment, each moment, like this moment. What could we celebrate right now? Either individually or together. A lot. We could probably just spend the rest of the evening just doing that. (laughs) I'd like to celebrate um, some images from practice that I love. And there's lots and lots of images. And the Buddha taught with a lot of similes. And many teachers follow that example. And um, today in one group, we were talking about one of these images, which is training a puppy. So an image, if you, this is again with the height, there's some sense in which in meditation, you know, we are, I mean, if you love dogs, maybe this image works better than if you don't. (laughs) In any case, puppies are quite cute, so. Hopefully it works. But again, you know, you have your own images. We, some of these images come to us, don't they? We sort of, it's to be open in a way to the, this like creative aspect of our imagination that can help us to, to um, express and help us name our experience and, and help us also point us towards, you know, what, what practice is, what, what we need to do in this moment. So you're training a puppy, you know, training the mind, training the attention. And so dealing with the puppy gently but firmly and knowing that's just how puppies are. You know, it doesn't work to get sort of angry and so on, like with the mind, you know. So this image of you know, training, training the puppy, maybe that's a helpful image sometimes. Not that that is always going to be helpful, That's kind of sums up practice, but these are skillful means, you know, sometimes image in the mind. A couple of other images I really like in terms of this area of, of, of training the mind, this, which is part of what we're engaged in here, this unruly, unruly mind. It's an image of the drunken monkey. 
<laughs> I don't know if that, well, that conjures up is like this kind of happy kind of whoa, <laughs> swinging around the tree. You know, how often does your mind feel like a drunken monkey? <laughs> I don't know. That one's quite familiar to me. So sometimes it's quite you know, like, oh, no, the drunken monkey, right? Drunken monkey mind. Okay. <laughs> And we know it, you see, the, the shift so that images can help us to come into mindfulness, into awareness of, rather than just be, feeling like we are the drunken monkey, we suddenly, oh, aware of the drunken monkey. And then maybe we can respond a bit, coax it down, and I don't know what we do with the monkey, but take care of it. There's also two images of wild, wild animals um, from the tradition. One is the Buddha uh, refers to mindfulness training and mindfulness like training a wild elephant. You know, elephants are pretty big, and in the wild, you know, they can be quite destructive. Quite, you know, if you don't want to be, if you stepped on an elephant, you know, would do some damage. So there's a sense that actually. You know, our minds can be quite destructive to ourselves, and you know they can lead us into some breaks. You know, unskillful states of mind and, and, and thoughts and actions. So sometimes you liken the, the mindfulness like hammering in a post into the ground, really, really deeply, really solidly, and then you can sort of tether the wild elephant to that, and it can calm it down, give it a place to go around and hold it, it has to be very strong sometimes, and I like that, you know, sometimes when the mind is really really kind of very strong strongly aversive or, you know, really, really it's really kind of getting carried away with something you have to be very strong and, and, and be very very firm with your mindfulness feel your body you know, feel your feet on the ground keep your mouth shut whatever it might be, you need to be quite Okay, step away, you know, whatever it might be. Strong, wise, mindful awareness. And then the, or the, the, the image of the wild stallion, which is just in practice sometimes, you know, whether it's pain in the body or, you know, kind of crazy mind or very difficult emotional life um, happening... The idea of giving a giving this sort of wildness a really really big space, like put the wild horse or the wild stallion in a really really big field, and he'll calm down. If you put them in a very small corral, then the panic and the trying to escape and and get hurt himself or someone else. So, if you can feel that that image, and it evokes a sense of. Yeah, give, giving ourselves space, a sort of mental space. Sometimes it can help to go outside and pick up on that kind of inner space from just being in nature, you know, standing in a field, looking at the long view and seeing what that does to the mind and then learning how to actually be able to evoke that when we're sitting inside with our eyes shut. So one last image that... Um, <clears throat> I, I picked up, and these are all from, uh, from not from me, but... I really I like them. It's the image of a a pig in a nightdress. <laughs> it's like, this comes from a very fertile imagination. Ajahn Suchito is the abbot of uh, Chittas Monastery, and what this refers to is a very it's a very important principle in practice. And what we're doing here 
um, you could say that <clears throat> so what he was describing in this image of what I understood from this okay so as we're meditating the, the pig is the samadhi is, the, is this gatheredness this concentration this quality of kind of fullness, steadiness, gatheredness, unified mind that we're developing through the, um, through the meditation. And the nightdress is our, our, our kind of defilements, as it's called in the tradition. You know, the bad habits are the kind of things that we want to stop doing in the crazy mind and all these sort of things. And actually, the way we, the way we get rid of the nightdress is that we just feed the pig and eventually the nightdress pops, it splits. And, and one of the reasons I love this image, other than my taste for the bizarre as well, is that it's like trusting that, you know, that simple process of coming back to the breath, coming back to the breathing. You're feeding the pig. You're actually, you know, it's that whole process actually is what helps to... Um, Break through those those defilements almost just naturally. That that mind, as the mind becomes bigger, as the pig's getting fatter. So we'll stop this in a minute. I'm not going to go on about this too much. But just just to give you a taste of the, the value of images and uh, helping us to understand, and also I think lightening, maybe some lightness and humour, which I, I think is sometimes helpful. Um, so enough enough of images, but. So it can be very helpful. I invite you to find the ones that you like and that help you. And also, sort of listen out for the ones that um, come up out of your own out of your own uh, mind. So, another treasure, another gift that I'd like to celebrate, um, that I think is a, a huge help in practice, a story, stories teaching stories and there's obviously hundreds and thousands of them you probably have your favourite ones you know maybe Winnie the Pooh I mean there's some wonderful wisdom in that and all kinds of stories you know which have um, again they kind of speak to the heart don't they they speak to the kind of knowingness or wisdom in us that is not just about thoughts and being clever and rational and ideas and it's kind of another somehow aspect of our being that kind of knows and somehow stories can connect us up with that. So I wanted to read you one little short story, <laughs> which I really like, um, which is a teaching story from the tradition of Nasruddin, who was this um, Sufi mystic, Sufi fool, wise fool. And this is one of the stories about Nasruddin. One night, some of Nasruddin's friends came upon him. I beg your pardon. I'm in an awkward transition between being able to see and not being able to see. I don't always know when I can need my glasses. Right. So... We'll try again. One night, some of Nasruddin's friends came upon him, crawling around on his hands and knees, searching for something beneath a lamppost. When they asked him what he was looking for, he told them that he had lost the key to his house. 
So they all got down on their hands and knees and to help him look. Oh, look around, look around. Without any success. Couldn't find it, couldn't find the key. Finally, one of them asked Nasruddin, where, where exactly did you lose the key? Nasruddin replied, in the house. Then why, his friends asked, are you looking for it under the lamppost? Nasruddin replied, because there's more light here. And one of the reasons why I chose that particular story um, was to kind of bring up the the point about um, where we where we look for happiness, and where we look for what we feel like we've lost, or and this sort of image of looking looking in a way when there's more light you know and when I was thinking about this story I thought it's like you know in the world where there's light we're very drawn to it aren't we the snow and the light and the sun and the and then the bright shiny things in shop windows light it's a lot about light something and then something lights up in the mind ah, ah. and where is you know where 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 is what we're actually really looking for and so the process of meditation, in a way, is pointing us back, sort of, to our own heart, to our own house, to these qualities of kindness and clarity and so on that um, are really where, and where the key is. You could say where the key is. So, um, when I was reflecting on us all, us many, many treasures, you know, many, many, many gifts from um, practice. And one area I just wanted to touch on is the area of mindfulness. This um, being present that we, we're talking so much about, of being um, present with what's happening now. And as some people have been talking about today, kind of when 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 we're not so busy and interacting and all of that actually being able to taste the food really like be able to enjoy the snow and 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 be outside and actually really look you know and really hear the birds and the kind of that quality of appreciation and joy and you know the beauties of nature and and how uplifting that is to the heart. You know, and I remember when I first started meditation over 21 years ago now. And I first, the very first retreat I went to at Guy House, which was up the hill in the village at that point. And I remember I didn't have a clue what I was getting into. I just picked up this brochure somewhere and thought, oh, that looks nice. So off we go. <laughs> I was really didn't know what I was getting into. It's quite ironic, really. And I remember at some point in that retreat, I didn't really have a clue what it was all about. You know, I really, I really didn't. But I just liked it. You know, I liked the place. And I thought, this is so nice. You know, and I can't remember what was really said. But I, a lot of the things that I picked up on were, again, these sort of more qualities of the heart. And something, oh, I just, it was so nice. And the people were so kind. And it was beautiful. And, you know, those sorts of qualities. I remember lying on the ground, it was it was in the summer, and looking up through a bush, 
and the sun was shining on the bush, you know, and, and looking through the leaves, you know, and seeing the, you know, the veins of the leaf and the, and the light kind of shining and then looking up and or sort of looking through my eyelashes. If you've ever done that, if you're looking at sunlight, you almost get a little rainbow effect around your eyelashes. You want to try that sometime. <laughs> little details like this, you know, which was so... It was, it was like a complete shock to me because it was like I had been... Where had I been living, you know? For years, maybe since, since childhood. Suddenly, this coming to your senses. Oh. There have to be another point as well. And, and, and I think that we, you know, we so often we spend so much time in a way preoccupied, don't we, with our thoughts and things, that to actually... Feeling the body and looking and smelling, and it can be very um, like coming home in a way. Don't know if that makes sense to anybody, but for me, this has been one of the great gifts of practice. You know, this sense of of coming home to, in a way, that aspect of our life which, in a way, belongs to the natural world. That's a sense of being connected with a sort of part of nature part of the physical world so another another gift of mindfulness which is kind of two kind of different very different but many much 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 we could say about mindfulness but for me one of one of the great great gifts i think for many people is the power of mindfulness of this of this being uh, awake and unaware and present to our bodily experience or our mental experience is that what it can give us in managing our emotional life you know, and our, 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 our wild mind so on a, one little story of, of something that happened to me um, a little while ago which I've, I've told before but it's 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 so vivid and and it was such a such a a good for me a kind of reminder of the power of just plain mindfulness in 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 getting through something difficult and that was in a way all that was needed was I was in an airport and um, I don't know why but for some reason some somebody man with a briefcase kind of came past me quite rapidly and kind of bumped into me a bit and I could just feel this kind of rush of rage you know I was just like not even just irritation but just like how dare you you know I don't know if you ever have that you just something just triggers off some very strong feeling for you know whatever reason and it was so it was so kind of in a way it was quite surprising quite very sudden and vivid and I could watched him go by and I had and this whole image in my mind kind of popped up of me going and kicking him. <laughs> I was like, whoa. And 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 but I was like, okay, mindful, mindful. I was on my way to teach a retreat actually, so I was like, okay, mindful, mindful, right, okay, practice, practice, you know. And actually just seeing that whole thing kind of happen and then okay, right, 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 you know, staying steady. And then at some point in a few, you know, fairly few moments, let it, it sort of dies down, passes. And then I saw him again in the, I think, the baggage area, and I was able to just do a little meta, kind of maybe well. Yeah, maybe well, maybe well, it's okay. You know, it's just like, it's all 
wasn't like all done and dusted but it was can you can you see that that's so that our 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 emotional life and the seeds of anger you know and and desire and delusion continue until arahantship which is the some Jake was earlier referring to the stages of awakening you know and actually the possibilities for those to to um, emerge in our consciousness is there right through to the highest stage of liberation so you know, until we get up there, we need to be able to actually see these things and understand that when you can meet them in that way, they just arise and pass. You know, I, I once heard, well, a couple of things from a very great Ajahn Chah, a great Thai forest teacher. I was once challenged by a student about, you know, some, I hope I'm paraphrasing sort of correctly, I think I am, you know, accusing him of having a lot of anger or hatred. And Ajahn Chah said, you may be right, but I don't make use of it. I thought, wow, what a great teaching, what a great teaching. Whether he does or not, he didn't say, he didn't, can you hear that? He didn't argue with them and say, no, I haven't, I'm, I'm not angry, I didn't have anger and hate. He said, that may be the case, but I don't make use of it. So important, because sometimes we think, oh, we've got to be spiritual, got to be all nice and never be angry. Well, you know, maybe that's not very realistic. Also, once a story from Thich Nhat Hanh, the great Zen meditation teacher, you know, very, very great master, and, and a story of him once in a conference. Um, he was, you know, sitting at the front on the podium, all that, lots and lots of people, and somebody in the audience said something that really made, you know, a lot of anger arose in him. And so he, he, he left, you know, he left and went outside out the back door. Again, I pray I'm paraphrasing correctly. And then one of his attendants who was with him came and asked him, oh, what's, what's the matter? And he explained, you know, I just, a lot of anger arose. I had to come outside, you know, back here. And I thought, well, you know. So, so there, that we, it's like recognizing we don't have to get rid of these things. It's about being strengthening our capacity to relate to them. Yeah, what an amazing thing! You know, when you're angry, to be able to actually manage that, relate to that skillfully, and all the, the all the rest of our emotional range as well, and as well as all the the you know beautiful and lovely emotions as well. Because isn't it true? If you're really really happy, if <laughs> you get completely. It's like, oh, it's so sunny and so lovely, and oh, you know, I'm so happy. Yeah, this is, yeah, I'm really practicing well, you know, <laughs> I've really got it. You know? Yeah. And then, you know, it starts raining, and your shoes fill up with water, and you start feeling really like, oh, no, I'm not practicing very well. I feel terrible. What's happening? You know what's happening. It's so if you can see, ah, emotional state is changing because of changing conditions, and oh, relate with that wisely. And, it, and if we can be happy and enjoy, without without becoming identified with that, you know, without that then becoming this is who I am and right, I'm just going to be like this forever, and not possible, and and not even necessary, because the true happiness, if you're beginning to get a sense of that, is actually much more about how we relate to and understand all these all these passing experiences. So another area I'd like to touch on is um, 
for me, huge, huge gift in practice. And of course, this is not just a gift um, in meditation practice. So this is a this is a great gift of, of kindness that, again, we can probably reflect on in our life and, and see see it everywhere. You know, if you if you you start to see it in others. You're witnessing it. You start to see, oh, I'm receiving it. And then you start to see, oh, I'm, I'm offering it. Oh, and it just sometimes with these things, we just don't notice it. And I remember when I first went to Guy House, those first few retreats, I think there's something that really was, again, on, on a sort of, on a heart level that really, really, really got me was that it was, it felt so kind somehow. I, I couldn't, I wouldn't have even said that actually. I don't think. And then at one point, I remember saying to my teacher, Christina, at some point, I, you know, I was sitting with her in an interview, you know, sobbing away as I did, you know, quite often at that time, a bit less now. And um, saying, this is. There's so so much love here. Sob, sob, sob. You know, and she's going, yeah, there is, there is. <laughs> you know, and and it was something like that. The practice I didn't quite understand, and I, you know, like with some of you, you know, it's like, God, this is difficult. Or, oh, you know, what are we doing? And but something about that kindness and that love that I that I picked up on really kept me, kept me sort of. Like there's something really precious here, both from other people, but also what that pointed to in me, and and I think, you know, for me, I think that that as I was mentioning a bit earlier, that the process of self-acceptance, you know, of of actually bringing some care and love to you know this one here, and and what and making that really real and not just an idea and yeah yeah okay I'm. Is is not obvious, I think, for for a lot of us, and that 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 that's not self indulgence. And what's the difference between self indulgence and self care? I think that's, I find that quite a helpful question. But what um, many many I have lots of stories about um, kindness and the great great gratitude and the great the great gifts that 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 gift that that's been to me and, and to others and I was thinking one of the great gifts of kindness that I think I got from several teachers in my early early practice when I would be sitting there you know suffering away pretty mightily it has to be said really into the dukkha the, the suffering and uh, again a bit less now fortunately quite a lot less <laughs> um, and but picking up from the teachers this really, really, really strong sense of their faith in me, specifically, and all of us, generally, that it was really, really possible for this to stop. And 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 this is this is something that I continue to be deeply grateful for and I so want to be able to then communicate that to others it's possible for this to stop for this this unnecessary burden of struggle and judgement and stress and struggling with life and all of that that we add is possible for it for it to stop and that that that's in, that the sort of dawning of that realization in little little moments, little moments of letting go, little moments of ease, you know, little moments of 
kindness towards oneself and others and that gradually, gradually and that with other factors, you know, it's you realise that you're not suffering as much as you used to. You know, and, and you're able to hold your process without it kind of splashing onto other people as much. And you don't really quite realise it's happening. And you look at it, actually, it still feels like there can be a lot of chaos inside sometimes, but actually it's all, it's held differently. And, and this, this really can happen. And many stories about generosity and the, the kindness of generosity um, and the, the gift, the gift of generosity. Um, once, um, both, you know, being on the receiving end and also giving, you could probably think of examples where you've been on the receiving end of tremendous generosity and how incredibly powerful that is, um, or both ways. And I was, um, I was actually living here as a coordinator and, um, my very beloved foster mum um, got extremely ill and seemed to be dying uh, very close to death. And it was a Sunday evening and I just couldn't see how I could get there. And in the midst of that, two friends said, we'll drive you there. We'll drive you there. So, so moves me even right now to sort of think of that. So... You know, it was so beautiful. Actually, she lived a little longer, but they took me there. We got there at three o'clock in the morning, you know, and they, and they dropped me off, and then they went off, and I later also discovered that the car broke down. <laughs> and they were fine, and but wow, it was such a... And obviously, you know, that what that, dif- that difference that that made to me, and, and it was just uh, something I always should be grateful for. And so to be able to receive other people's generosity is possibly as much of a practice, isn't it, as giving it. Sometimes harder to really ask for help or receive help. It's very powerful practice of humility, of accepting our common humanity, you know, accepting our need, accepting our interconnectedness. You know, the way we're so bound up with each other. So many, many examples. But so I wanted to go on to um, just a few of the gifts of what I would call wisdom. The gifts of wisdom, which is probably all what this is all about, really, meaning to seeing clearly, seeing clearly. Oh, it's that, right. And being able to make a skillful choice. You know, maybe that, you know, is one way of summing up practice, you could say. Seeing clearly and then out of that being able to make a skillful choice if that's needed. Sometimes just seeing is enough. One thing I would love to celebrate, to give thanks for with you, is the, the great gift of questions. And you probably, I love questions. really encourage you if if you like questions to make that part of your practice both just the spirit of investigation what is really happening what is this experience what is this what is this life you know that that kind of direct really questioning our 
our assumptions about what's happening and what's true and what's real, that spirit of inquiry, of real skillful questioning, skillful doubt. We just it's so inspiring and I find that such a source of of just this continual sense of being trying to open to learning, to learning, to understanding more. It's it's I it's something I've come to value more and more. And it, it, it's but it's something I think we have to learn for ourselves. Like the questions I might that might really work for me. You know, you have to find your own ones. Like what is happening? You know, very practical as well, these very practical questions. You're in the middle of some, you know, kind of uproarious situation at work or with friends or home or whatever. And you just wait a minute, wait a minute, what is happening? Whoa. <laughs> What's actually happening here? Feel your feet, feel your, you know, this basic thing. So powerful. And one, another kind of question that I want to also just refer to briefly is um, it's the idea of a personal koan. A koan is a question, a meditative question in the Zen tradition. Things such as, what is this? Which is one from the Korean tradition and the various questions that are meant to kind of um, open the mind. And a teacher called Narayan Liebenson Grady in the States, she she termed this, uh, she coined this term personal koans, which I really like. And they're like questions that keep coming up for you in your practice, or you ask people, or you ask yourself, or you ask a teacher. And they're, and they're kind of, they they're, they there's something that's um, something you're kind of inquiring into, looking for. I want to give you a couple of examples from my experience. And to, sometimes it feels like just finding the question. It's like, yes, that's the question. And in a way, that's what that's what you need. It's like, what is the question here? What? what? And then our, it's almost like the answer is not so relevant because what we really needed was the question. Why is it so hard to act in our own best interests? And if that, that was one of mine for actually several years. Uh, it was a real question for me. It was a very deep kind of pressing question. Why is that so difficult? Why is it so difficult to act in, in our own best interests? And eventually that kind of died off. I think it sort of got answered in a way. Another one, one point which actually I also found very pra- a practical question as well. And if this works for you, it's like, what do I really, really, really want? <laughs> so what this does is like it takes you down to what do I want? Well, what do I really want? Okay, but what do I really, really want? And it, 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 it used to, I don't use it anymore, but at one point it helped me to really, like if I was thinking about what do I want to do, where do I want to go, do I want to do this or that, it would stop me and kind of take me deeper. And often where that would get me to would be something that ended up being nothing to do with the <laughs> decision, but was what I needed to know. And just one last one, which is more recent, just a few years ago, this one which I found very helpful. What is the problem? (laughs) What is the problem? And that's something about, you know, when you've got this 
problem and you, you think it's this, well, it's that, and I've got this thing and that person won't and, and I've, it's, I'm ill. And, but what is, it's again, in a way, it's what is really the problem. And what, what that question did for me was to sort of point me towards my relationship to things, you know, how am I? It, it's more like it's, it's the way we, we are averse to things or kind of grasping at things or um, kind of fixated on things. That where the problem really lies. I find that really helpful to look at how you're relating to something. So wisdom, different kinds of wisdom and, and insight. So just mention um, a couple of things in the area of, of insight and particularly the, the um, sometimes, sometimes maybe uh, longer retreats when maybe can see this also you know when the mind is less still but but sometimes when the mind is quiet you know you can see so clearly the pro the processes of, of perception of how a, a particular thought or a particular image or a particular idea is sort of built up in the mind and it's it's almost like a kind of star constellation in the sky that you begin to see how the mind is actually creating a shape or it, it's taking a different, you know, an idea, a thought, a word, a, a bodily sensation, a memory, and then it's glomming it all together into this shape like the big, and calling it the Big Dipper. Whereas actually, what is there? What is there? It's just these points of light that have been, those ones have been picked out and made into a shape. And that is what we are doing all the time. And it, it's, it's, so, it's so important and it's so liberating potentially because if you can actually see, actually that's how we're creating ourselves. You know, we have an image of ourselves, I'm like this, and, and it's like a, a shape, kind of all shapes that we create in the mind. And then... We kind of act as if it's real. We act as if it's real, and it's it's not. It's not. It's just these sort of points and points that we've picked out, and then we kind of hold it there because we're so. Um, there's just such a strong need to kind of be somebody, isn't there? Be something. Be even if it's not not very pleasant. At least I'm this, you know. And in the meditation, maybe you can begin to feel, you know, where. You're sitting and you're just seeing and hearing and smelling and walking and what happens to the sense of self? Very really pretty much it kind of starts to quieten down a bit. You know, and, and that 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 there's there's a way that we begin to actually see experience we see how it's fabricated and constructed. And even though we come back into the world and there's still, you know, there's me and I'm doing this and there's that, we don't, it's like we're not so caught up in believing in it as who we are and what's really real and that's how I'm going to be. And that's, it, it's all, it's like we've seen kind of, we've seen through it some way. We've seen, seen, we've seen it as just a, a kind of a very, very elaborate kind of 
game that, that the mind plays. And, and obviously on some level it's, it's relatively uh, useful, you know, to navigate the world and have a job and use language and so on. But, but to be able to, um, to, not, uh, to not identify with that as a kind of fixed view about, you know, who I am. Who who another person is? What a situation! What a situation is! Then then things can change. Things can change. Our sense of ourself can change. Our sense of another can change. So I wanted to read you also something, which points to this um, kind of. Radically different way of seeing, understanding, oops, oops, seeing the world, seeing, seeing ourselves, seeing others. So, Kalu Rinpoche said, "You live in illusion, and the appearance of things. There is a reality. You are that reality, but you do not know it." If you wake up to that reality, you will know that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. That is all. And another another um, great Zen teacher put that a little differently. I think it's the same idea of to study the way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. And to forget the self is to be awakened by all things. So we're coming out of that sense of me and I and a sort of limited, separate uh, sense of being and knowing ourselves in a very different way. So um, I, I like to finish with one other quotation, um, which um, is from the actually from Einstein, and I think points to the some of the, the again the, the possibility to the wisdom that that's we can open to. So he says, a human being is a part of the whole called by us universe. A part, limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest. A kind of optical illusion of his consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole nature in its beauty. So, in closing and ending this talk, um, I'd just like to uh, 
give thanks for your presence here and appreciate uh, your efforts your perseverance your openness your kindness and I invite you to also appreciate yourselves and each other and this very very precious opportunity to to explore and inquire and open to the the greatest gifts of this life so let's just sit for a, a couple of minutes and then we'll have some walking Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.